This is my official act. You got a minute. Congratulations. There's nobody more deserving. I'll leave it. Thank you very much. Whoever thought of a Red Sox fan as mayor of New York City? That's a. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Uh, the press gets the last word. I tried to teach them these things. They, uh, a lot of the uh, students have asked me my favorite Meet the Press story. It involves Ross Perot, who ran for president in 1992. He was ahead of Bill Clinton and George Bush in the polls back then. In May of 92, he came on Meet the Press, said he was going to balance the budget without breaking a sweat. He was going to get under the hood and find all the answers. And so I said, Mr. Pro, you've defined the problem. What's the solution? And he was very upset with me. He said, well, I don't have my charts with me, and that's an unfair question. And we went back and forth. And I got on the shuttle to come from Washington to New York, and the flight attendant ran down the aisle and said, that interview with Ross Pro was unbelievable. What do you think of him? I said, ma'am, I never comment about my guest and, or his or her performance on Meet the Press, but as a viewer, as a voter, as a flight attendant, what did you think of Ross Perot? She paused and said, he strikes me as the kind of guy that would never return his tray table to the upright position. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Every opportunity I've invited to Gracie Mansion, I come because of all the kinds of people you meet here. This is the first time I ever met my boyhood idol, Yogi Berra. I had grown up worshiping Yogi Berra. Most of the kids in my neighborhood liked Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle. I was a Yogi Berra fan, number eight, tough Italian kid from St. Louis. And I said, Yogi, is it really s true that you say all the things they say you said when you come to the fork, take it? You've heard them all. He said, for example, I said, I'm told that you went into the pizzeria. And the waiter came over and said, what do you want, Yogi? And he said, I want a pizza, pepperoni, mushroom. The waiter said, you want that cut in six or eight slices? Yogi said, six, I can't eat eight. <laughs> so Whitey Ford was there. And I said, Whitey, how can this be true? And Yogi said, what's wrong? I said, no, never mind. <laughs> Whitey said, it's worse than you think. We were playing the Chicago White Sox one time. And uh, Whitey had been out late with Mickey Mantle the night before. And, uh, and, and first pitch, Nellie Fox, single to right field. Second pitch, Louis Aparicio, single left field. Two pitches, runners on first and second. Third pitch, Ford hit Minnie Minoso. Three pitches, bases loaded. Fourth pitch, you got it. Ted Klazuski, big power hitter, gone. Grand slam home run. Four pitches, four nothing White Sox. Casey Stangle, the Yankee manager, came to the dugout. Yogi came from behind home plate, took his mask off, and Casey said, hey, Yogi, does Whitey have his stuff tonight? Yogi said, how the hell did I know? I haven't caught a ball yet. <laughs> So with, in that humble spirit, in this august group, this is by far the most extraordinary intellectual group assembled since Thomas Jefferson dined alone. But it is impressive. It is impressive. I am here because of people who really took an interest in me from the day I was born and taught me the true lessons of life. The mayor talked about my book about Big Russ, my dad. My dad and the recipient of your award today is the son of a garbage man and a truck driver. My dad quit school in the 10th grade at the fight in World War II. He barely survived the crash of his B-24 Liberator. 
spent six months at a military hospital, and came home and started a second mission with my mom. And that was to raise and educate his four kids. Two full-time jobs. And he never complained. I know President Clinton talked to you about optimism last night. My dad's glass is two-thirds full. When I said, Dad, six months in a military hospital, that had to be tough. A lot tougher for the guys who died. Dad, two full-time jobs for 35 years, a truck driver, a garbage man. It had to wear you down. Some guys couldn't find one job. That is his essence. That's who he is. He says, put your nose to the grindstone and hope for the best. And you would think that hard work and optimism would be in conflict. They're not. They're not at all. And his life is a testimony to that. And so the lessons of perseverance and preparation and discipline are the very ones that I try to use in my career in journalism. And after my mom would call us in, we didn't have play dates. We didn't have neighborhood watch systems. People came in, and at 4.45, we had to be at our kitchen table and had to do our homework. And my mother wouldn't let us trade our pencil for a fork until the homework was finished. And so we got it done because the bowl was empty if you didn't get it finished. And we went off to school. I remember Sister Mary Lucille in seventh grade summoned me to the front of the room with one of these. She said, Timothy, we need to find an alternative, or alternative vehicle to channel your excessive energy. I knew I was in trouble. But she started a school newspaper and made me the editor and the publisher and the mimeographer and, and the chief salesman. But I fell in love with journalism. Because of my work on that paper, I was admitted to Canisius High School, much like Loyola and St. Ignatius. And Father John Sturm, the prefect of discipline, put me against the lockers for some perceived indiscretion. I said, Father, please, don't you believe in mercy? He said, Russert, mercy's for God. I deliver justice. <laughs> and so, Along with preparation and, and diligence and hard work, I had accountability. And from there, it was college and, and, and law school and working in the legislature and the executive branches. It's been an extraordinary opportunity for me and extraordinary blessings. But I realize every step of the way, there has been someone there teaching, mentoring, encouraging, disciplining, tough love. The mayor talked about entitlement. He's so right. I have a 19-year-old son, and my hardest challenge is for someone who grows up in Washington rather than Buffalo, who's had access and opportunity to understand each and every day that he is always, always loved, but he's never, never entitled. And so too with our political leadership. They are not entitled to their office. It must be earned by a vote of the people. And so too with those of us in the media. Our rights are guaranteed by the Constitution, but our integrity and our respect must be earned. It's not entitled. I don't think those of us in the media should have a different standard for ourselves than we have for politicians. If a politician makes a mistake, we'll report it. I hope that we will not be cynical, but we will be skeptical. In the same vein, if the media makes a mistake, we have to acknowledge it. We have to step up and say we made a mistake, fix it, correct it, and make sure it doesn't happen again. It is so essential that the American people understand that we are capable of acknowledging wrongdoing, both in our political figures and in ourselves. And we're also capable of acknowledging success with our political leaders and ourselves. There is always a, a tension between those holding office and those covering it. It is what our founding fathers envisioned. Think of, and I know this morning you had George Tenet, the weapons of mass destruction, a perfect example. The president was convinced they existed because what the CIA and other intelligence agencies told him. The German, French, and Russian intelligence agencies, even though they were opposed to the war, said they had weapons of mass destruction. So did Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. 
It turns out it was wrong, a colossal intelligence failure. Do we just step aside and say, well, it was a mistake? The fact is, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative, we need to know what happened so that this president or the next president, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, Republican goes before the world and says this about Iran or this about North Korea, they're believed and they're trusted. It is essential to who we are as a free country and a free and honorable people that we get facts straight and present them in a truthful way. When I took over Meet the Press, I went to see Lawrence Spivak, who was the founder 58 years ago, the longest running television program in the world. And I said, Larry, what's the mission in your mind of Meet the Press? He said, take every guest you have and learn as much as you can about them and his and her position on the issues and take the other side. And be persistent, but be civil. It was invaluable advice. It's exactly what is so essential in a democracy, a free change of ideas, and a challenging of our political leaders, but done in a constructive way. It is, I believe, imperative that politicians answer tough questions. Because if you can't answer tough questions, I don't believe you can make tough decisions. And we have tough decisions ahead for all of us, Iraq, Iran, North Korea, stem cell research, social security, challenges around the world. You'll hear from Tom Friedman this Saturday about the world is flat in terms of fiber optics and what it means for the next generation. We have enormous challenges for our young people in this, in this country. Eight a day shot dead by guns all across our country. One fourth of our eighth graders never graduating from high school. We understand there is a correlation between guns and gangs and death and, and poverty. And we have to understand what causes it and how to cover it as journalists and deal with it as politicians. But it should never be at a level where we do not believe we are capable of each doing our jobs in a mindful, meaningful, and respectful way. I work in television. I understand the limits of television news. David Brinkley put it this way, focus on complexity and nuance rather than harshness, bitterness, and conflict. But understand your limits, he said, Tim. Think of it this way. If Moses came down from the mountaintop in this year with the Ten Commandments, how would television news cover it? Moses came down from the mountaintops today with the Ten Commandments. Here's Sam Donaldson with the three most important. <laughs> I understand the limits of my medium, but it should not in any way prevent or prohibit us from covering things as thoroughly and completely as we can, opening up what we know and what our guests know to as many people as possible so that they'll then pursue books and journals and the internet, whet their appetite, raise their curiosity as to what has to be done in, in terms of dealing with the challenges in front of us. And all the while, understanding that we are also, whether journalists or politicians or students, or entrepreneurs, union leaders, living in a society that is much bigger than all of us. The best speech I ever heard was the best exercise for the human heart is reaching down and helping someone else up. And it's a standard I try to apply to my career in journalism and in my own life as a citizen of this country and this world. I am truly honored to have received this Achievers Award. I, my father will be extremely impressed that I finally won a gold medal. <laughs> Big Russ truly will be, and so will Mom. But it, is, it has been a singular experience meeting particularly the young people here today. You have such an opportunity to understand and to do something about the challenges confronting our world. You know, there's a 
a sense that I've, I've learned. I get, the older I get, the smarter my mother and father seem to get. Because they, they used to say to me all the time, you can do anything you want. Don't worry about it. Just put your head down, work hard. Get your education, my father would say. And he's right. And if you look at all the transforming events, like Valenza, a member of your August group, the, the son of a carpenter, electrician, he transformed Poland from communism to democracy. Nelson Mandela spent 28 years in prison, 28 years in prison, a police officer he was trained as. And he earned his way to go to law school by being a police officer, spent 28 years in prison to prove one central point, we're all created equal. Mother Teresa's father died when she was eight as a teenager went to India to help lepers and AIDS victims, and now a living saint. The, the leaders of this world and of this country have always been, in large part, not born of the blood of kings and queens, but the blood of pioneers and immigrants. And that's what it's all about, people coming together this great afternoon at Gracie Mansion from all walks of life, all across this country, all around the world, with a common understanding and a common pursuit of excellence. I am deeply honored to be a fellow achiever. Thank you.